Ephesians chapter 1, we'll begin reading at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He destined us in love to be His sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. For He has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In Him, according to the purpose of Him who accomplishes all things, according to the counsel of His will, we who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together. Father, hope is a thing that can't be turned on and off like a spigot. It comes because our hearts have been touched and made open to the glory of the truth of Your grace and promise. And so in addition to the word of promise that I will try to speak now in these next few minutes, I pray for a divine work in the hearts of myself and these people that we might hear it and feel it as hopeful and be empowered by it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. God's great desire for His people, for you this morning, is that you feel secure in His love and in His power. Everything else in life may be unstable and shaking. Your job, your health, your society, your world, your relationships, your family. You may feel at any or all of those levels like you're out on a ledge 40 stories up in a wind. And every time you reach out to grab a brick, it comes out of the mortar. And life is just ready to fall apart. And I want us to make sure about something right at the outset this morning. Namely, that we understand that when we swore allegiance to Jesus, we signed up for the most dangerous mission in the world. How did Paul describe it? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. We are counted like sheep for the slaughter all day long. Paul really has a right to speak to us about hope this morning. Listen to this little condensed autobiography from 2 Corinthians. 
Three times I have been beaten with rods. I was once stoned. Three times I have been shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil, in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Now, how could that man, with so frequent subjections to danger, that man with so much opposition from every side and weakened by sleeplessness and lack of food, avoid a nervous breakdown? And not only avoid a nervous breakdown, but have a soul, a heart, that is so powerful, he could sustain dozens of fledgling, floundering mission churches, write letters that change the course of church history, and as an old man be dreaming of yet reaching Spain with the gospel. Makes me feel so ridiculous when I get depressed with my little problems. The reason Paul could be strong and stable when there was opposition and danger and sickness and weakness all the time, it seemed, is because he'd made a discovery. And it was very simple. God's great desire for him and for you is that he and we feel secure in his love and his power when everything else may be crashing in. And that's what I want you to feel today when you leave to take you on into this afternoon and in the week that one thing is absolutely sure when everything else is shaking. Now one of the great obstacles to feeling secure in the love of God is that there seem to be so many New Testament passages which threaten that security. Just when we feel like we're eternally secure in God, along comes a passage that seems to take it away. And I don't think that the way to have deep and abiding security is to avoid those passages. It's kind of steer between all those big boulders in the sea of peace. I think the way to, to have peace and security in God is to face them square up and to see how they relate to the teaching of the New Testament about security. For example, Romans 11, unbelieving Israelites were broken off from the tree of salvation because of their unbelief, but you stand fast only through faith Therefore, do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. 
First Corinthians 10. Let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. Second Corinthians 13. Examine yourself to see whether you are holding fast to your faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize Christ is in you? Unless you fail to meet the test. Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Philippians chapter 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Colossians 1.21. You were estranged. Christ has reconciled you in order to present you holy and blameless to God, provided... That you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Hebrews 12. Strive for peace with all men and for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 1 Peter 1. If you invoke as Father Him who judges each one impartially according to His deeds, conduct yourselves with fear through the time of your exile. And Revelation chapter 2. Be faithful unto death, and then I will give you the crown of life. Now, a sampling of passages that seem to be like big obstacles in the way of a secure, happy assurance in the love of God forever. All of those passages teach that the test of genuineness for the Christian is persevering faith and holiness of life. And they warn us that the attempt to offer security to people without loving lives and lasting faith is perilous. We might succeed at the cost of their destruction. But it would be a terrible misunderstanding, terrible mistake, if we thought that all those texts that I just read were intended to threaten our security in God. They are intended to do just the opposite. They are intended to threaten all our security except in God. If you find your security in your health, the Bible is a threat to you. If you find your security in your family, the Bible is a threat to you. If you find your security in a job or in money or in education, the Bible is a threat to you. And in threatening all of these utterly inadequate foundations for security, the Bible is driving you and me relentlessly and lovingly back to the only foundation of security that will last. God and Him alone. Therefore, when God demands on the one hand, Turn from your sin lest you die. And commands on the other hand, rest in me alone that you might live. He's not commanding two different things. 
Sin, by definition, is the attempt to find security elsewhere than in God. That is sin. Therefore, when God says, turn from sin lest you die, He's saying, please, won't you find security where it can be found? In me alone. When God threatens our feelings of security in the world, it's because He wants us to feel secure in His love alone. All the threats and the promises of the Bible have just one message. Be secure in God alone. That's all the Bible wants to say. With all of its promises and threats. So let's look at a passage that is not a threat, but in fact is one of the sweetest assurances that we believers will make it to glory in all the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Let's read these three verses. We who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of His glory. In him you also who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now the first thing to notice in this passage, and the most important thing to notice in this passage, is how it begins and ends. It begins and ends with God's ultimate purpose to glorify Himself in the church. Verse 12, we were destined and appointed to live for the praise of His glory. Verse 14, He has guaranteed our inheritance to the praise of His glory. You exist for the praise of God's glory. So the most basic fact you can say about the righteousness of God is that He has an unswerving, unwavering commitment not to you first, but to His glory first. And that leads directly into the necessity of seeing the second thing in this text, namely, that the people to whom He guarantees an inheritance forever are people who believe in Him. Verse 13, you who have believed were sealed. Why? Because when you believe in a person, you honor them, don't you? And if you don't trust a person, you blackball them and you cast dishonor upon them. Therefore, there is a very close connection between believing the Lord and glorifying His grace. And so it's the people who believe him that he is going to make promises to. For they will then be the ones who glorify him forever. And that leads us to the third thing. It follows as the night, the day, if you catch the first two. The first was, God is committed above all things to the praise of his glory. And the second thing is that when you trust Him and believe His Word, you magnify His grace. 
Therefore, it follows that he is not about to leave in your power the question of whether you will make it to the end and glorify him forever. He is so passionately committed to being glorified in a redeemed people forever and ever, he's not about to let it depend on you whether you make it to glory. And therefore, he sends his Holy Spirit into your lives and he gives his Holy Spirit the instruction, seal it, guarantee it. I aim to be glorified forever by this people. Our security, friends, hangs on God's commitment to his glory. If he were to surrender We're done for. There are two great words in this passage that give you assurance. The word sealed and the word guaranteed. So let's unseal the word seal for just a few minutes here. There are three meanings that this word carries in the New Testament. Matthew 27, 66, they sealed the tomb of Jesus. Shut. So seal means to lock something up. Revelation 20, verse 3, they sealed over the pit into which Satan had been cast, so he couldn't get out. Second meaning, in Romans 4, 11, the circumcision of Abraham is the sign and seal of his righteousness that he had by faith. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 2, the converts of Paul are the seal of his apostleship. So the second meaning of sealing is a mark of authenticity. And the third meaning comes from Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, where the servants of the Lord have a seal of God put on their foreheads so that they'll be protected when the wrath comes. So the third meaning is protection from evil forces from outside that could damage or destroy you. Now, however you come at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, the basic meaning is going to be the same. If the Holy Spirit is given as a seal in the first sense, we are locked in. That is, our faith is locked in so that the faith can't get out and unbelief can't get in. If He seals us in the second sense as a sign of authenticity, it's like Romans 8, 15, is it, or 14, where if you are led by the Spirit, you are the Son of God. The presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is the mark or the sign of your authenticity as a child of God. And if he comes to us in the third sense, namely to give us a mark for protection, he is protecting us from evil forces so that when Satan draws near to you and sees the sealing of the Holy Spirit upon your life, he can't get in. However you come at it, the message is the same, isn't it? God wants you to feel secure in him and in His love. He comes with a preserving seal to lock in your faith. He comes with an authenticating seal to make sure that you have a stamp of authenticity. He comes with a protecting seal to guard you from forces that could lead you astray. So He wants you. He wants you to feel secure. 
And the third or the second and last uh, word is guarantee. Verse 14. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance. Noel and I ran out of gas at the corner of 66th and Penn Thursday afternoon, right at the intersection with a long line of cars piling up behind. Why are we stopping here, Daddy? I jump by the car, run across the street to this neat little uh, a store. I said, I'm, I'm, that's my car right there. You got a can I could use? We can't do that. It's against the law. We can sell you a can. Thank you. So I run up the street, and thank God for good old-fashioned gas stations. Al's service station. Go to Al's service station on Penn Avenue between 66 and 65. <laughs> I said, there's my car way down there on the corner. You got a can? Sure, we got a can. Just fills it up, $2 worth of gas. But they asked for my driver's license. I gave it to them. Why'd they want my driver's license? They want a guarantee I was going to pay for that gasoline. I was going to come back and close my deal here and give them back their can. What does God want you to feel? You gas station attendants. What does God want you to feel when He tells you that He has laid His Holy Spirit into your life and called that Holy Spirit a down payment or a guarantee? Here's what He wants you to feel, and with this I close. He says to you this morning, My great desire for those who believe in Me is that you would feel secure in my love for you. I'm coming back to close this deal. I chose you before the foundation of the world. I predestined you to be my children forever. I redeemed you by the blood of my Son. I sealed you with my Holy Spirit. You are going to get the inheritance someday. I want you to feel secure. So that as the world collapses around you, you don't collapse. That's why he wrote that chapter. And then he adds this. I don't promise you an easy life. In fact, through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom. In fact, I don't promise you that I will always speak to you in soft tones of reassurance. I will threaten you every time you begin to find your security in anything but me. I will threaten you because I love you so much. I will not let you stake your life on anything but me because it will collapse in the judgment. Let me say it again, says the Lord. I have chosen you. I have predestined you. I have redeemed you. I have sealed you. And you will inherit the blessing no matter what happens around you in the world. When peace like a river attendeth your way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever your lot, I have taught you to say, 
It is well. It is well with my soul.